You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. Great to see you. Great, great to see you. Do you have a Bible? Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 24 in just a minute. Matthew 16, verse 24. Let me really quickly direct your attention to your bulletin. On the back of it is just a financial update. We put this out every month. I want you to know how we're doing. Uh, our fiscal year of our church starts from July to June. We do, do it that way. Um, and you can see uh, the numbers are on there. And uh, it's two months in. We're doing great. And want to thank you guys uh, so much for your generosity. And thank our board, uh, particularly the financial guys on the board, Travis and Lee and Chris, that, that help out and do a tremendous job of, uh, of, of managing that. Thank you guys so much. And, and thank you all so much. But uh, that, that information's on the uh, back of the bulletin if you, if you want to check it out. Um, Matthew 16. We've been doing a, a series of messages, which we're calling uh, the Paradoxical Faith. And it's really a, a sermon series that just overviews Christianity and what we believe, at least some of our major, major doctrines. And one of the characteristics, uh, particularly the major, more crucial doctrines in the Christian faith is that they are paradoxical. There's a great theologian from England that lived a hundred years ago named G.K. Chesterton, who one time pointed this out in a book called Orthodoxy. He said that paradox is at the very heart of Christianity. And then he said it is precisely the paradoxical shape of Christianity doc- Christianity's doctrines that enables it to speak to deep and philosophical problems. And what he means by that, when we talk about a paradox, a paradox is an apparent contradiction that is actually true. And what you see a lot in Christian doctrines is you'll see something, a a topic described by what seems characteristics that are the polar opposite of each other. We've looked at, I think, seven of them so far. When we looked at God, if you read the Bible, you will see God as a paradox. He is, can be very confusing to understand. In fact, Moses was very confused by God. And he asked God, what do you like? And God told him, I forgive sins, I'm merciful, yet I'm just. Uh-huh. At the same time, I am merciful. I am a God who's merciful, but I'm a God who's just. When we Talk about Jesus. We look at what the Bible teaches about Jesus and his essential, who he really is. It says he's a paradox. He's fully God and fully man. He is, he is fully God. He is God of very God, yet he's a real, live, flesh and blood human being. Jesus Christ was the eternal, infinite, invisible, immaterial God coming to earth, becoming finite and temporal and matter, and he had a real, genuine, authentic human experience. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, and he describes him as being both powerful yet sensitive. When the Bible talks about mankind and humanity, it describes us, we're a paradox. We're a paradox of majesty 
and depravity. We're created in the image of God. We're made out of dirt. When it talks about grace, grace is a paradox. It's inclusive. Because of grace, everybody can experience salvation. It excludes no, it is inclusive of everybody, regardless of what of any circumstance. Yet it is exclusive. It comes only through Jesus Christ. We talk about salvation. The Bible has a paradox there. Salvation is a function of faith, yet there's a works element to it. It's faith and works. Then uh, last week we looked at the, the, uh, the topic of being enabled, being empowered. And again, that's the idea of strength that comes in weakness. And so the Bible's written in a paradox. All the Christian doctrines have that sort of shape to them. And we're going to talk about another topic today that's, I think, very important to all of us, something we feel very deeply, and it's the paradox of significance. The paradox of significance, of meaning, of mattering. That's something that's really haunting to us, particularly as you get older, is, is my life significant? Have I done something that really matters? Do I matter? Does anything I matter? That the idea of living a significant life, doing something that really counts, is, is a very big drive and a very big voice and a kind of a haunting, compelling feeling we all have within us. This idea of being significant. Mark Twain once said, The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. Now, when Jesus talked about significance, he wrapped it in a paradox. And here's the paradox. We're going to look at the passage in a second. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you want to discover your life, you want to discover who you were meant to be, what your life is about, you have to lose it. To discover it, to find it, to gain it, you first have to lose it. Now, how many of you, when you think and dream and hope to live a significant life, think, you know what I want to do? I want to lose it. My, my goal in life is to lose everything. Who's, who has got that dream in your heart? That you think you'll die, and when you look back on your life, if you have a life where you've lost everything, you go, hey, that was worth it. That was meaningful. That was powerful. That's, that's very counterintuitive to us, isn't it? You'd live a life that's, where you lost everything in it, where you lost it. See, here's something we need to realize, though. Every single human life is insignificant. I mean, every one of them. There are probably six or seven billion people on the planet now. Over 10, 11, 12 billion people have lived. I've done this before with, uh, when it's crowded with college students, I'll sometimes do this for people my age. But if I ask college students, and I've been in rooms where there's been hundreds of them here, and we've asked these questions, I'll ask them a question, who is Howard Hughes? Raise your hand, college student, if you know who Howard Hughes is. And there'll be a lot, you know what? Nobody raises their hands. No one my kid's age has any idea who Howard Hughes is, or at least very few of them. 
For people my age, that's shocking. Because when we were young, when I was young, Howard Hughes was the first billionaire in the history of America. He was the richest man in the world. And a generation later, my kids don't even know who he is. Completely gone. When I was a little boy, and I would go to New England and visit my grandfather and my grandmother, my grandmother would always tell me about her dad, who is Sir Major Isaac Fry. And we, we were in a town of Wilton, and she would take me to Wilton downtown. And downtown in Wilton, there are two statues of my great-grandfather. Now, one was because he was a war hero, and he's on a horse, riding a horse. Sir Major Isaac Fry is a war hero. They just made a statue of him. But then later on, they built another statue of him because during the Depression, he was the wealthiest man in the, in the whole city of Wilton. And when the Depression was hitting and everybody was losing everything, he literally underwrote every debt of every citizen in the city. Now, he lost everything, but he saved the town. And there's a statue of him in the town commemorating that. Now, when my kids have kids, and let's say they go to New England, and they just happen to drive through Wilton, New Hampshire, and they get a cup of coffee, and they walk around, and they go, huh, there's two statues of that guy. They will have no idea who he is or what he did. We are, the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, when it talks about meaning, it talks about purpose, it, it uses this word to describe you and I. It's the Hebrew word hummel, and it means smoke, smoke. And that's what our lives are. It just smoke. We are, if I was to set a, you know, a book on fire up here, it is literally the process of turning something into nothing. And that's what we're going through in life. We are something that's being turned into nothing. And in this light, the significance is based on one factor. It is what do you and I connect our lives to? What do we invest in? Where do we put? Where do we invest? Where do we trust our lives to? That is the only way to have a significant life is to invest it and put it in the right place. And this is what Jesus is, is saying here in, John, in a Matthew chapter 16. In fact, he's, he's going to say something uh, over and over again about losing your life to find it. He says it, if you read the Gospels, he says it six times in the Gospels. Very important thing to him. So let's look at this in verse 24. Look at four verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But forever, whoever loses their life for me will find it. Verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And he will reward each person 
according to what they have done. Now, in this verse, let me give you kind of a little background. This is Jesus, and if you, you read these occurrences where he says these kind of things, if you read Jesus and study him, you'll see there are many times where he will say these sort of strong, challenging commitments about following him and about living for him. And most of them occur in his ministry during a 15-month period when they call it in uh, theological terms, they call it the beautiful springs. It was between the two springtimes in uh, the second and third year of his life. He was immensely popular for about 15 months. I mean, just huge crowds, people following him. And when Jesus would look at huge crowds and he was getting very popular, what he overemphasize again and again to the people following him. He asked this question, is your following me authentic? I mean, is this genuine? Is this going to last? Is this going to survive? Do you know what following me really is? Because walking around and being a part of a massive crowd and watching a show that is interesting is not following him. And what Jesus did in this passage, he developed kind of a motto, kind of a simplify of the Marines of what it means to follow him. And he just says this, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. And it's really interesting when we Think about this idea of this sort of ultimate challenge of losing your life, denying yourself, following him. You know, we think of it in sort of very ultimate categories, at least I, I do generally. There's a passage in Acts 20 where Paul says, I don't consider my life dear on any account that I might fulfill the, the mission God's given to me to testify of the grace of God. Paul just had this kind of ultimate, I don't consider my life dear. I'm losing my life. But in Luke's gospel, when he uh, does this, it's kind of interesting. One place he says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he adds a word that's really, I think, very important for you and I. He adds the word daily. And so it's not just this ultimate grandiose thing of just abandoning, but it's just more this practical lifestyle of following Jesus every day, every day, finding moments, finding ways to invest our life in him every day, every day. It may mean getting up early to pray or staying up late to pray regularly, just getting those moments. It may mean turning off the TV when you're watching some important show and reading your Bible instead. It may be just inconveniencing yourself for a bit to serve somebody who has need. It is this daily practical things of just following him, following him. So it may be ultimate, it may be daily, but in the routine. But Jesus is telling us that in order for you and I to live a life that's significant, it's about denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him. Let's kind of look through this, this passage a little bit. Verse 24, verse 25, he says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life 
Again, those two words are so powerful. For me, we'll find it. Here's what we're always doing in our life as Christians. Because we commit our life to Christ. As we walk with him and as we grow in our Christian life, we constantly have this decision to make in our life. It is to surrender myself to Christ or to protect myself from Christ. I've got a challenge, an inconvenience, something I need to do. I need to volunteer at the church. Am I going to protect myself and my time from Christ, or am I going to surrender it to him? When it comes to our money and our finances, do we protect ourselves from what Jesus says about money and giving and generosity, or do we surrender to it? When it comes to our priorities, when it comes to our personal moral decisions, do we protect ourselves from what he says, or do we surrender to it? And this is what Jesus is saying. It's very nitty-gritty. It's very down in the dirty part of our life. Do we do this? Do we do this regularly? Do we save our life? Do we protect ourselves from Christ? Or do we really surrender to him and what he wants and what what he's asking for? In life, And as Jesus goes on here in this, this verse, he, he says something here really powerful that makes this doable. He uses two words that are just, I think, so crucial in our lives. And, and those two words are this, for me. For me. Are you doing this for me? And I think one of the things that's, that's so crucial in our lives of of living a significant life and following him and living out this motto and this creed are those two words, for me. Are we doing things for him? Not to be a good person, not to get a cookie, not to check off a box, but are we really aligned with his worth and his wonder and his beauty? Are we doing things for me, for him, for him? As he goes on here, as he's outlining this thing, Jesus continues here. Verse 26, what good will it be for someone? He asks a question. This is a good question to ask. He asks this, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? What good is it? What what gain is it if we gain the whole world and we forfeit our soul? There's kind of an, an, an interesting trick in this thing that Jesus is talking about. When he talks about life in one sense, he's talking about just this natural biology, just our, our needs, our physical life. He's saying, what would it matter if you gained everything there was in this physical life? What if that really happened to you? What if you became wealthy and successful and whatever beyond your wildest dreams? What would it matter if that happened and you lost your soul. And what Jesus means by that is to lose your essence, lose your why, lose who you were meant to be, why you were meant to be, why you're here. There's a, um, let me see if I can illustrate this, sort of, it's kind of an Aristotelian concept of your, of your essence, of your soul. And it, it means like what is essential to make something what we name it? Like, let me give you an example. What's essential uh, to being a phone? Something's a phone if it does what? Yeah, it teleports your voice from one place to another. 
and teleport somebody else's voice from that place back to you. That's, that's what phones have to do. Now, we can have an iPhone. It can be a little thing or a variety, whatever the other phones are. I don't want to just give equal time to every phone. I want to discriminate. That'd be terrible, you know. What a horrible thing to do. Uh, but, you know, but whatever your phone is, uh, it can be one of those. Uh, it can be that kind of phone. You can have a cordless phone. You can have a corded phone with a long thing that was back in the day. You can have a rotary phone. But if the phone transfers, if the device transfers your voice, teleports your voice from one place to a desired location, it is a phone. That is essential to being a phone. When our little kids walk around and they have the red, the bright green uh, little plastic thing that makes noises and they call that a phone, that is what? That is not a phone because it doesn't do what a phone must do to be a phone. It's a toy, and it's wonderful, but it's not, it doesn't do what a phone is meant to do. It's got, and, and here's what Jesus is saying is that you, you, know, you are a you. If, if, if I have Casey here and, and God made a Casey, there is something essential that Casey must do to really be a Casey. There's something she's created to be, something she's created to do, that, and, and it, it's from her creator. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, you can have everything in the world. You can have material things. You can have whatever you want. But if you lose this, if you don't discover your why, if you don't discover why God made you who you are and what he wants for you, you have not gained anything. You've gained nothing. And there's a, there's a haunting that goes on in people that have and accumulate and keep accumulating, and they never find this why because they've never aligned themselves with their creator. A phone must teleport a you, whoever you are, a Jason, a Jana, a Christian. You must be, you must do what God put in you to do. Or you're missing your why. You're missing your efforts, essence. You're forfeiting your soul. And Jesus says the only way to do that, the only way to discover that is to lose your life for me. Lose your life for me. Lose it for me. You know, the, the picture Jesus put is somebody literally gaining the whole world. Jesus says, would you... What if somebody really offered you that? What if somebody said, hey, I'll make you wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. All you got to do is give up who God wants you to be, what he wants you to do. Give up the why of your life. Give up the purpose of your life, and you can have everything. You know, we give up our why for a lot less than everything, don't we? And Jesus is... is challenging us about this here. Look, let me go on here. If you continue in, in verse 26, he, he, he uses this word exchange, which is a um, kind of a, you know, a, a, a market term. And then he gets in here into verse, 20, verse 27. He kind of summarizes his thought up, and he says this. Hey, for one day the Son of Man is going to come in all his glory. And he's going to reward everybody for what they've done. He basically is saying this. When it's all said and done, there's going to be one thing left standing. 
It's the Son of God and His kingdom. And what is going to matter is what you have lost, what you have invested, what you have trusted into that kingdom. Everything else is gone. When I was a little boy, there was two games that I would play, and I was great at them. One was Monopoly. And, and I would I say I was great at them. I, I won a lot, but I cheated a lot. So I don't know that I was really great at it. But there's something about, like, ruling Manhattan that just was appealing to me. And so I would, like, I would do anything to win. I would, like, and, and I was really good at manipulating other little kids that were board members. I would just, I mean, not board members, but a Freudian slip, maybe. I don't know where that came from. But that were, it's a board game. Anyways, the, uh, well, that's a bad day. But, uh. Get that one off the tape there. Uh, I think we had a technical difficulty this Sunday. Uh, anyways, um, but I would just like manipulate the, the other kids and I would like cheat. I'd take money. I'd do anything. I just wanted to win. And I would win and I would just feel so great <clears throat> that I was the king of Manhattan except for when the game was over, we just put all my properties and all my hotels these went back in a box. They were gone. And I would play risk. I'd do this. I was like vicious cheater at risk. And I'd conquer the world. And I was actually had good strategies for a you know, 10-year-old. I was, you know, I was good. And, and, and I would win because I could, unless they ganged up on me, I would win every time. But when it was all done, you put all the pieces back. You know, when this is all done, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put all the pieces back. You're going to leave here, no hotels going with you, no armies, no conquered territories. What is going to last is your investment in the kingdom of God. That you put your life into the kingdom of God. That you are willing to lose your life for his sake. In doing that, you and I find our life. That's how we find our life. A great missionary named Jim Elliott, who actually was martyred in South America, reaching an unreached people group. A great story, inspiring story. Uh, he was murdered uh, by cannibals, actually. Uh, trying to take a, the gospel to a tribe. Years later, his wife went to that tribe, took the gospel there, and actually led the chief who murdered her husband to the Lord. And Jim Elliott had a saying that's so powerful. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what can never be taken away. It's a very powerful way of succinctly communicating what Jesus is saying in this passage. You're no fool to give up what you can't keep, to keep what can never be taken away. I, I, Lee Davis, our dear, my dear, our chairman of our board, he's a financial planner. I was talking to him 
this morning. I, 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 I looked this up. You know what happened September 4th, 1998? Of course you don't. I'm playing with you. Google started September 4th, 1998. Now, I asked Lee, if you, were, if you knew today what you know then, and I was one of your clients, what would you recommend I do? And he said, all in Google. If I had a house, should I get a second mortgage and put it all in Google? If I'm thinking of buying a new car, should I just wait and put everything in Google? If I've got a $3,000 vacation my wife wants me to go on, should I postpone that, put, put it all in Should I get a second job at the Golden Pantry? I should, do, I should do everything I can to put everything I possibly can in Google because it's going to explode. And you're going to have a whole different life. I want to tell you what Jesus is saying here. Take your life. Take what you have, trust him. Trust him and invest it in his kingdom. Because when it's all said and done, he's coming back. And he's going to reward everybody for what they've done. You will never regret a minute, a dollar, sweat, pain, whatever you invest in the kingdom of God, you will literally never regret it. We'll only wish we had done more. This is the key to living a significant life. It's what Jesus, it's a paradox. It's counterintuitive. And it really challenges us. It grates on us. But it really is true. Lose your life for me and find it. Discover it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, these powerful words from Jesus that speak so profoundly to a deep part of our heart that we want our lives to matter. We want them to be significant. But Lord, give us grace not to connect ourselves to the monopoly game of wealth or of power or of, of, of whatever things where, where eventually all the pieces go back in a box. Father, give us eyes of faith to see your worth, to see the value of Jesus, to see him as, as who he really is, supreme in greatness, that we would joyfully invest our lives in his kingdom. We would lose our life in you, to find it, to gain it. I pray you make this truth real and powerful and possible in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.